Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hey, listeners, it's episode 374 and the middle of October, and we're here to talk about Thanksgiving because, frankly, just around the corner, it's next month. I know it doesn't feel that way because Halloween isn't here yet. But here's the thing is if you're going to wait until next month, you're going to do the thing you always do where you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to plan. And it's like going to be this super crazy situation. So I have found that planning for Thanksgiving is awesome. I actually invited my Thanksgiving guests about two months ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I ordered my turkey. So we're going to talk about that. Um, why ordering your turkey from a humane safe, sustainable place is a great idea. But before we jump in, let's talk about our sponsor, which also is a little consistent with the theme. I like being able to pair sponsors with topics because I think it's awesome. Uh, but honestly, I could talk about ButcherBox anytime. So, I mean, I, I literally have gone camping and struck up a conversation about Butcher Box with a park ranger that just came. It was organic. It just came. It just it just happened. Uh, that has happened. Um, so I I I don't think I need I don't think I need a relevant topic in order to expound on the virtues of Butcher Box. Uh, Stacy and I both love Butcher Box. They deliver grass fed beef, heritage uh, breed, pasture raised pork, as well as uh, organic chicken. Everything is non-GMO verified, hormone-free. It's all top quality, and it's delivered right to your door on a subscription basis. You can either build your own box and have the same things come every month, or I like the just give me whatever random thing you're putting in boxes this month option, and I will make something awesome out of it. So sometimes I get cool surprises, but then they put in a little card with a recipe on it so that I know how to make the surprise because sometimes they have sent me in the past cuts of meat that I'm not familiar with, which I love that challenge. Um, But I also have add-ons to my box, and you can do, once you're a subscriber, you can do this whole thing where you get like these extra subscriber deals, which I check out every month and go, wow, look at how great those chicken leg prices are. I'm going to add three pounds of that to my box. So I do that every month. I love them. I love the convenience. I love the quality and super relevant to talking about Thanksgiving coming up in a month is that ButcherBox has awesome pastured turkey. I started ordering my pastured turkeys and I did ham and I did a beef roast from Butcher Box last year and can personally highly recommend both from a you know flavor and um, tenderness perspective love it so I, before Butcher Box at the local butcher where I would get a humanely sustainably raised turkey I think I paid over $50 for one. So we've partnered with ButcherBox this month. If you're listening before November 17th, 2019, and you haven't gotten a box yet, new members can receive a whole turkey in their first box, which is a fantastic value. Um, If you're listening after, it's going to be too late for them to get you the turkey. So a new listener would get $15 off not a new listener. Well, if you're a new listener, hello. But if you're a new <laughs> if you're customer, a new listener, good for you for binge listening to 374 episodes and finally getting here. Or That's I'm just all maybe you just in, right? started this episode and we'll see if you go back <laughs> you, or forward at all. Stay with us. Stay with us. Good stuff is coming. <laughs> um, 
I promise I'll get through this ad. So if you're new to ButcherBox after the 17th, you would get $15 off your first box plus free bacon. Um, And that is from, again, really important to me, like non-GMO, hormone-free, pasture-raised, heritage breed pigs, and um, the bacon itself is Whole30 approved. So um, I recommend it. You can check it out yourself. Butcherbox.com slash the paleo view will get you those deals. You don't need any coupons or anything like that. You just go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view. I think a whole turkey in your first box though is pretty exciting. Honestly, I signed up not as an affiliate. I wanted to sign up and try it first, like under the radar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I signed up on the free ham deal last year. Because it's, it saved me so much money yeah. to get a big old ham and a big old turkey. That's a really good, really good deal. So um, I've cooked a butcher box turkey every year for the last three years, and they are fantastic. So they're really I, generally I think pastured turkey has a lot more flavor than regular turkey, but sometimes it can game it can get a little gamey, and the butcher box turkeys are not gamey they're just they're just, I just they're just lovely lovely flavor um we're gonna do kind of like a rapid fire i was gonna say i'm ready to jump in how do you cook those turkeys right let's why don't why don't we do that we, so we do have a bunch of social media questions pulled mm-hmm. probably from last year let's be honest and if you ask one of these questions way a long time ago and we're just now getting to it our sincere apologies but I don't know. That's like our normal turnaround time. It's useful it. information for the coming <laughs> next month. And that's true. I'm super excited because it's probably our last Thanksgiving in this house with this big kitchen that we designed. <sighs> and Russ from the domestic man and his wife, Janie, are coming. And they're always big helps in the kitchen. So I'm excited to think about Thanksgiving and how wonderful it will be. I feel very sad that we're not going to go this year. You're you're making a personal choice. Don't be sad. My mother-in-law is coming to visit us. And so we're going to have a nice Thanksgiving at home with my mother-in-law. And I love my mother-in-law and we get along really well. So it's going to be wonderful. And then we'll just have to go visit you in your new home. And that will be wonderful too. Exactly. Okay. So our first question of Rapid Fire, which our long-term listeners uh, will know... <laughs> Rapid fire. We need to come up with at... another term. Like, I need we'll to come up with an abbreviation for one. something that is abbreviated to like long-winded. L W R F. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, we'll get through as many of these as we can. Okay, so I'll answer this because I know you didn't cook a turkey last year. Because you were here. I mean, you helped us cook our turkeys. But um, the question is, how do you each cook your turkeys? And what are your go-to sides? So we actually cook more than one turkey each year because we usually have friends. Obviously a million people at your house. Right. I think last year we actually did have over 40 people. We had like multiple rooms set up and it was a whole thing. So um, we love hosting. Let me just put that out there. So my answers are going to be like on a grand scale, not for six people just FYI. Um, my sister has a job where she gets a turkey for free. Um, and so while I would much prefer a humanely sustainably raised turkey, if I were purchasing one, I'm not going to let a free turkey go to waste either. So Mm -hmm. she gives us her turkey and that turkey we usually, um, fry because it's fattier and it's, you know, less, healthy. Um, and the flavor is less good. And so I find that it is best enhanced fried. We roast, which is my favorite way to eat a turkey, mm-hmm. the one that we get from Butcher Box um, or wherever you're getting your turkey. I cannot recommend. We're, we're just going to assume everyone's assume it's get Butcher their Box. turkeys from See Butcher here, Box. So let me just say this. And again, this is why we are terrible at rapid fire. So here's the thing is turkey in particular is really, really um, susceptible to terribly raised farming practices mm-hmm. if you're not buying humanely and, and sustainably raised turkey because it's a one-time 
of year thing for farmers. In their mind, it's like a commodity. And so it's not like chicken or beef where they're doing it day in, day out all the time, right? A turkey is like the thing in their mind that they just they just got to keep it alive until <laughs> it's not ready to be there anymore mm-hmm. and they don't want to put as much effort into feeding it and you know all of that kind of stuff and so it receives the worst usually I'm not going to make a blanket statement I'll say it usually receives the worst care um and the worst food because they're trying to fatten it up as much as they can as quickly as they can so that it's ready in time unlike a chicken which if it's not ready in time they'll just you know process it two weeks later it's not a big deal um so I just cannot recommend enough I know that it seems like well it's more expensive to do it this way and it's a one-time meal and therefore what does it matter but we as buyers we as consumers tell the market what we want. Mm -hmm. And if less people purchase conventional turkey and they choose sustainably humanely raised, it tells the farmers that that's worth their time and money, that they can charge a little bit more if they treat it a little bit better. So that's my soapbox on that topic. And I just feel like it's really important. I, you guys know, maybe you don't know if it's your first time listener, (laughs) that I wrote a book called Beyond Bacon on why the importance of nose to tail um, matters to me. So this applies not just to pig, but it applies to basically any animal being farmed. Mm -hmm. I just feel like all life deserves to be treated without um, some of the things that some farmers do to conventional meat. It's just, you know, I'm not into it. So the answer is my humanely sustainably raised butcher box turkey is roasted because it has the best flavor. And I find that roasting brings that out. We do brine our turkey, which means that we use um, a wash basically, and we soak it in that wash. The, the one that is roasted gets a brine. The one that is fried does not get a brine. That's interesting. So I have smoked turkey before, in which case I brine it first. Um, But actually, I have to admit, my I like the so the skin's my favorite part. I love the crispy oven roasted skin, and then this and the stuffing inside the bird. And so my my preference is roasting. And I I kind of want to um, emphasize. I realize that because a turkey is say like. 10 to 30 pounds, right there, they can be really big. They can like, feel like it's your entire oven and it's just one big meat thing. Um, and it, I know that it has an intimidation factor because of its size. Um, but it's actually really no more challenging than cooking a chicken, a roast chicken versus a roast turkey is about the same. And if you are, just cooking it without, you know, adding, you know, stuffing or anything like that. It's actually really straightforward. It's very little hands-on time. Um, I would say most of my work that goes into cooking Thanksgiving dinner or any turkey dinner, any time of year is not the turkey. The turkey is the, the easiest part of the entire dinner to cook. It's all of the sides that are the, the thing I'm actually putting all of my time and investment and attention into. And so I, I kind of want to emphasize, I would say, uh, deep frying a turkey is definitely a, you want to be comfortable around a fryer, know, you know, know what to expect. Um, roasting a turkey is really straightforward. It's literally put something flavorful, even if it's just salt on the skin, put, put it in the oven and 20 minutes per pound later, a little bit faster for a pastured turkey. So pastured turkey can cook in as little as like 15 minutes per pound. Throw in a meat thermometer, and then you'll know when it's perfectly cooked. And a few hours later, you'll have delicious meat with crispy skin. Absolutely. It really is that simple. Yeah. I just want to emphasize a meat thermometer. And you can get a super cheap one, like I think probably at the dollar store. We have mm-hmm. one that's like a Bluetooth one that is connected yeah. to our phone. So no matter like where we are, it'll tell us when it reaches temperature. You want to put it in the breast, which is the thickest part of the turkey so and that not against the bone right um mm-hmm. and you basically where 
the thickest part of it is because that will tell you when that part is cooked all the yep. way through. And um, white meat, not dark meat, because dark meat will naturally be a little more juicy and flavorful, even if it like the thighs will probably cook faster than the breast, but that's okay because dark meat is more tender and uh, forgiving because it's higher in fat than white meat. So um, I know a lot of people are intimidated to cook a turkey. Every Thanksgiving, um, I always like am shaking Matt at 3am. Like I wake up in a panic. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be up cooking the turkey? He's like, no, it just takes like three hours. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Um, I don't know why people, unless you're having like an 11am, you know, feast or something, but we usually do like two to 4pm. So, um, it's not that big of a deal. And you, you said you put stuffing in your bird. Um, we do not. We make a side uh, because my brother is vegan. We do a lot of separate kind of dishes. So just for your listener context, as we talk about our favorite sides, um, we're able to make a lot of things pretty vegan friendly because um especially when we were newer to paleo and we were super strict about it, like coconut oil and palm, um, sustainably raised palm shortening and um, coconut milk are all things that we were using ourselves anyway, because we weren't using dairy. So it was really only true meat, like fat products um, that we were making sides Mm -hmm. of. And so we have a pork based stuffing that we really like with fresh cranberries in it. Um, And then we make a separate one that my mom and my brother prefer that is pretty bready based. I mean, it's not real bread, but um, it's like a vegan bread um, with vegetable stock, like a more traditional um, Stouffer's version (laughs) versus the one that we make, which is um, pork and chestnut and cranberries. Mm. And that recipe, I think, is on our blog. It's definitely on Beyond Bacon. I um I make basically my mom's stuffing recipe using chopped green plantain in place of breadcrumbs. And it's definitely one of those recipes where um, the greener the plantain, the better it turns out. So there's been years where I've made it where the plantain's been on the, you know, slightly yellow tinged side and it's just not the same. But if it's a really good green plantain, tastes so phenomenal but also I far and I mean this was even pre-paleo when I was using bread to make stuffing far prefer the flavor of stuffing when it's cooked in the bird but I also don't have a vegan brother that I'm trying to accommodate with my meals so I don't have that um, extra thing to think about it also is it's just more difficult to get a bird that doesn't dry out that's cooked properly when it's filled with stuffing um Mm -hmm. So if you're used to that, fine. But for us, like we've just traditionally never done that because way back in the day, my favorite was like a boxed stuffing that we made on the stovetop. And so we just put like apples and onions and things like that to flavor the bird Mm -hmm. on the inside. Um, And then we make our, we don't call it stuffing. Why can't I think? You call it dressing? Yes, dressing. Yeah. Matt Matt was listening to this right and just being like, it's dressing, it's not stuffing unless it's in the bird. So thank yeah, you yeah. for that. So I, yes, I think I, uh, now I think in Canada we call it stuffing either way, but I think the more technical term is to call it dressing if it's a side dish and stuffing if it actually is cooked inside the bird. But that's an excellent segue to question number two of our LWRF, which is, <laughs> what are your go-to sides? I have a um, method that I use with everyone who comes to Thanksgiving, and I ask them what one dish they would like. Um, It's kind of our tradition. And so it has become a little more complex as our invitees get larger. So for example, my brother-in-law and his fiance get one request instead of two. Um, And... I, I automatically tell my brother like, okay, these things, for example, mashed potatoes are easy for us to separate out if we're putting butter or ghee in mm-hmm. 80%. And then we just, before we put in, when it's just mashed, before we put anything into it, we pull, you know, 
two servings aside for him so he can have some leftovers. He likes to have leftovers for a sandwich the next day. Um, and we make his separately. So I tell him off the bat, like, okay, you'll have Brussels sprouts, you'll have mashed potatoes, you'll have green bean casserole. Um, do you have anything else that you want? And um, interestingly enough, the ones that are the most popular, we make a roasted vegetable uh, platter. Sarah, I think you helped us chop. Mm -hmm. We had what, like three or four trays of those last year. And we drizzle balsamic. We had, we had, I I distinctly remember it because we had a fundamental Brussels sprout uh, difference of how, and it, 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 it became a, uh, Oh wait, you make it that way. Yeah. What's wrong with you? You make it that way. Yeah. What's wrong with you? (laughs) It became, it became a thing. There was a thing. It was a thing. Uh, with the Brussels sprouts. But veggies, I love that my family, it that's like their number one request. My dad requests it, my brother-in-law requests it, and my brother requests that we make those roasted veggies. The, that recipe is in the blog. I think it's called Roasted Veggies with Balsamic. Um, and it's just basically some root vegetables. I think we do butternut squash, maybe beets, um, Brussels sprouts, and we just make them all the same size. We put olive oil, salt and pepper, toss them, and then we drizzle with balsamic and roast them until they're brown and crunchy. It's Mm -hmm. really simple, but it's a lot of people's favorite. And we usually get, um, because my, I do have a lot of family members that are not gluten-free, and so they want bread. So usually I will purchase from a bakery a gluten-free baguette or bread or something like that so that I don't need to worry about making that because that's not something that I really want, but people want it on the table. And that way the gluten eaters feel like they're, even though it's not gluten, they're getting their fill Mm -hmm. of whatever that is. Um, And a lot of people will choose desserts. Like my mom and my dad or my, my dad thinks he gets more than one pick. Um, are pretty specific (laughs) about like, there must be pumpkin pie. There must be pecan pie. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt really likes, I think the, um, the chocolate rum pecan pie, I think, was dairy-free. I think you were able to eat that one last mm-hmm. year that we got from the bakery. Um, so we try to simplify by getting some things that we can get outsourced done that way. So, for example, we'll we'll usually do pies outsourced, but then we'll make um, your pumpkin pie as a custard, which is my favorite. Yeah. Um and I'm trying to think of what else we eat as sides. Oh, I said green bean casserole. Um, you made a really a, awesome a sweet potato casserole last year with those yes. giant marshmallows on the top. Yeah. So our trick to our sweet potato casserole is we actually roast um, pineapples and bananas and we blend it in with the sweet potato. And then last year... I was um, in love, and I still am, with a brand called Smashmallow. Um, They make a churro marshmallow. This is not at all sponsored or endorsed. Um, But they it's like a cleaner version of a marshmallow. You could certainly make your own. But I had found those at the grocery store, and they're covered in like a cinnamon sugar. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this would be amazing on top of a sweet potato I am going to try it this year with um, Sweet Apricity makes a – different seasonal marshmallows mm-hmm. and they do a pumpkin spice one Ooh. and I'm going to try it. So the thing I love about sweet apricity marshmallows is that they're like, they're actually AIP other than her chocolate marshmallow flavor, but they're a gelatin based with uh, honey and coconut sugar and they're delightful. But I think the pumpkin spice one would be spectacular and they, you know, they're a fully natural ingredient marshmallow, um, that's still roast. We bring them when we go camping and we make um, s'mores with gluten-free graham crackers. It's the only time my kids ever get anything do like they that. Ro- do the, those marshmallows roast up? Yes, they do. I am so excited about this information. I'm already enjoying this super weird, <laughs> not at all rapid fire podcast. Okay. Yeah. Best way to sneak in more nutrients to a holiday meal for non-healthy eaters? No, I think it's just the vegetable sides, honestly. Like I think um, doing things like making, like the the fact that I make my stuffing with plantain, I also have a recipe on my website for an eggplant and wild mushroom-based stuffing, which is delicious um, and and has the texture and flavor of a very traditional stuffing. Um, And you could make it as a dressing by just adding more broth. 
I think that's like just that one substitute is amazing. I think having a few different vegetable side dishes, we often do like a roasted Brussels sprout side. We often have some kind of steamed vegetable. We'll have a salad. We'll do some kind of uh, mash. And often with my my root vegetable mash, I will um, use something like potatoes as well as like fennel and celery root. That's a really wonderful combination. So it might have like three different vegetables in it. I think really um, having uh, a variety of vegetable sides and basically not filling up on gluten-free buns, I like that to me is an amazing way to sneak in more nutrients. Ooh, do you know what other trick? I know you, I know you do this trick. What? Um, blending the liver oh, into, into the gravy. Oh my gosh. That's my favorite thing that Russ mm-hmm. is coming. He's going to make gravy and I ate that gravy. He makes the best gravy. So his gravy is the best. I am going to take a video of him making the gravy mm-hmm. this year so that we can like watch it back and do it again because it doesn't matter how many times I've watched him make the gravy. We can just not replicate it. Russ makes the yeah. best, best, best gravy. And like you're, Turkeys will have all the parts, so you just mm-hmm. you just use those to make the parts. He threw his in the Instapot with some broth. Yeah. So the gravy, yes. What I would say is, on a broader scale, rethink Thanksgiving. Um, because I made those roasted vegetables originally one year for myself, because, it, you know, we were paleo and I was trying to eat healthier, and we were trying to recreate all of these standard American Thanksgiving foods like the boxed um, stuffing. And I was like, you know what I really want? Like, I want to reimagine this and I want flavorful, like delicious foods on the table. And so I made those roasted veggies and we came up with um, a green bean casserole, which was one of my favorites that I could have that was dairy free. And we made sweet potato drop biscuits. That recipe might be on the blog. It's definitely in Beyond Bacon. Um, And that just has sweet potatoes, almond flour and like rosemary in it. So if you can do almond flour, you know, anybody can, can have those. Um, and we used lard specifically. That's what made that great. We, we tried to make it vegan for my brother and we're like, I'm sorry, you're ruining it for everybody. Like (laughs) can't, nope, not gonna, you can just have this vegan bread. Um, and when I created that Thanksgiving menu, everybody, that was the meal that everybody was like, Oh my gosh, this is the best Thanksgiving we've Mm -hmm. ever had. Everything is so delicious, blah, 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 blah. And then the next year when I asked everybody what they wanted, they told me all those things that I just made that was healthy. And maybe you're like, of, what? It's the type of meal that, that shows family that, you know, like we always have those friends and family members who think we're crazy that we're depriving ourselves of flavor because we don't eat all of the boxed junk that they eat. And those are the types of meals that go like, no, no, wait, I eat way better than you. And it's it, there's, it can be a stepping stone for some people to be invited to a meal like that. And I still had... Like I said, those gluten-free desserts from the bakery or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go and make yourself, like we did one year, we soaked cashews and we made a paleo cheesecake. And it was, I mean, it took us like days to make this thing. And at the end of the day, I was like, honestly, I could have just had another serving of vegetables and been just as mm-hmm. happy. So I don't do all of that anymore. Um we just get the the gluten-free baked goods and um, everybody's happy with like a really delicious meal. So here's my tip. If you're rethinking Thanksgiving, how I originally approached it and what worked really well for my family is we made a Pinterest board. And I know this is silly and maybe you don't use Pinterest and it's not in vogue anymore. I don't care. I'm an old woman. <laughs> I have gray hair in my eyebrows and I'm, I'm still on Pinterest. I'm not pinning things with cats in it, though. I'll tell you that. So I made a Pinterest board and I sat down with the boys and I was like, let's look at some recipes that look delicious. And we went to websites of you know, food bloggers that I could trust would have recipes that were clean. And so whatever they saw on those websites, they pinned. And then we went to that board when it was time to create the menu. And we were like, let's pick the things that look good. And that's how we ended up tweaking a, um, 
uh, green bean casserole that we really liked. And I was shocked because it was made with coconut milk. And I just was like, oh my gosh, my family's going to freak out that this isn't traditional, like, um, you know, soup can. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, condensed cream of mushroom soup. And I specifically yeah. remember my sister going on and on and on about how that was the best green bean casserole we've ever had for Thanksgiving. So you never know, honestly, like give it an honest go. And the worst that's going to happen is, it's not going to be everybody's favorite. And next year, you'll try something different. But if you have buy-in from your family, because they helped come up with the ideas and, and pinned them, or, you know, whatever the case may be, if they tell you what the one thing is that they want, like our tradition, nobody can complain because they're the reason that it's on the table. <laughs> okay, I think that's a great segue into the next question, which is from somebody who said, I've been invited to a holiday dinner at my soon-to-be in-laws, and I follow AIP. How do I navigate eating without offending? This is a tough one. And I feel like a topic we're constantly trying to poke around. So for me personally, I do not expect somebody else to bend their meal for me. And I know that that's hard and maybe not the concept of everybody. Is it nice and wonderful that now after... 10 years, my family knows that I can't, that we can't do gluten at all, and that I can't do nightshades. And they try to make sure that there are some dishes that I can have. Absolutely. But back in the day, you know, when I was first approaching these things, it was like, they don't even know what gluten is. So they might try yeah. to make something gluten free and add soy sauce. And then I can't eat it anyway. So they've gone out of their way to make something for me. And then I can't mm-hmm. eat it. And so I would just be really upfront with them before I got there and say, we're so excited to come spend the holiday with you. I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm working on my health, and I'm not able to eat a lot of things right now. So I'm totally fine to bring my own food. I don't want you to feel like you have to cater to me, but I wanted to give you a heads up. And in all cases with my family, they were like, well, we want to make sure you can have something you can eat. Tell us what can you eat? And that's where we can settle on something like a roasted vegetable or, you know, something like that, where they can put something on the table if they offer. But I just feel like it's unreasonable to expect somebody else to make, for example, an AIP meal for you because they can't become experts on that overnight. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I think, a an honest conversation ahead of time, my, my way that I often, um, handle these types of situations is exactly what you said. Like, I, you know, please don't go to any trouble, make the things you like. How about I bring something that I can eat? That's a dish that can be shared. And that's a great opportunity to bring something like a pork-based dressing with lots of fresh vegetables that kind of isn't a meal by itself. Like it might, you know, take that and then discover that there's also a, you know, salad that I can eat or a vegetable that I can eat. Um, you know, I try to bring something and I also also try to bring dessert. I, again, I feel like that's a uh, a great way to illustrate to people how delicious the food that I can make even on the AIP is. Um, and, you know, can I bring, can I bring two or three different things that now I've made a great meal for me of things that I know are safe and, um, and something that I can share with everyone else. And instead of placing the burden on the host and hostess to accommodate my dietary needs, I'm releasing burden from them because I'm contributing to the meal. And I think, you know, especially if these are people that are, are going to be your in-laws, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be invested in trying to accommodate you, but their kitchen might not be gluten-free like that, that cross-contamination might be a, a really big issue. And I think that, you know, bringing something, that's already made ahead of time is going to be a great way to protect your own health, take some of the onus off of your in-laws for cooking, and also still find that celebration through food that is what these types of meals are all about, right? It's all about bonding over the shared experience of a delightful meal. 
Could not agree more. And if you don't feel like you have the ability to make a delicious dessert that would please everybody, then bring some sweet aprosity caramels for yourself Mm -hmm. and just don't make a big deal. I just feel like that's not what the day is about. You know, the day is about, like Sarah said, spending time with one another and, um, enjoying the company of our friends and food brings us together for those social situations. So as long as you don't let food divide you. um, And I think that's why going in with that mentality is so helpful. That way, if someone does offer something, um, it is that much nicer and sweeter versus expecting them to do something and then being disappointed. Um, So yeah, that's all I got to say about that. What is next? Um, Oh, I know this is a good one. (laughs) (laughs) The question, what can I do with my turkey carcass? Please make broth. Please make make so much broth that you have to freeze it. And then Mm -hmm. you can make turkey soup. So here's here's what we do is we make um, the first round when there's still all those bits of meat on the carcass. Well, keep in mind that we have multiple carcasses as well. So the first round, we make a turkey soup and we make the broth in with the meat pieces. And it's not as intense of a broth because you cannot cook the bones as long because then the meat will go bad. Um, Mm -hmm. But we like to have all those bits of meat in a turkey soup. And then we take the carcass and we do a second round in the instant pot with, or if you don't have one on the stovetop, it just takes longer. Um, for more broth. And I just want to remind people when you're making broth, my two top tips for you is do not add vegetables in the very beginning. We have a broth show, go back and listen to it. Um, But they will get bitter by the times your bones will get soft. And if you're making good broth, you're just cover, you just adding enough water for the bones to be covered. And then you're cooking multiple rounds. Um, So usually two of the longest cycles possible in an Instapot for a turkey carcass mm-hmm. and um, just enough water to cover the carcass. And then if you want to add aromatics, go ahead and do it at the very end. But um, your, your broth is just the bones and water, maybe a little um, apple cider, cider vinegar, but um, you don't, you don't need all that just to make broth. It's just bones and bones water. And water. Yeah, I I would do like a 36 to 48 hour broth on the stove stovetop. And my my yep. preference is usually to make broth on the stovetop simply because I have a giant stock pot with a uh, pasta insert and I put all of the bones inside the insert and then when I'm ready to strain my broth, I just lift the insert out and then all of the broth is in the pot and all of the bones are in the insert and it's uh it's I I think it's like the lowest maintenance way to make broth and I can make about double the amount that I can in my Instapot. it makes your whole house smell so good for two, like, cause you're cooking it for two days. Yeah. Chicken and turkey broth, especially. When Matt makes broth on the stovetop, um, because until last year we only had one Instapot and two carcasses. So usually one was done on the stovetop and one was done in the Instapot. Um, I would wake up at like 4 a.m. salivating because (laughs) that's the point at which it's usually like almost ready and starting to smell so good. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, what are you making? Until I started learning that it was broth that he was making. (laughs) It smells so good. It's like it's like a candle without the synthetic carcinogenic unnatural fragrance. It's just can you imagine the turkey broth scented candle? I'm. You don't need it. That's the thing is I'm sure it exists and it's not at all natural. And I'm just, I got a body shiver thinking about it's it. Just not the ca- It's not the same as the cookie smell candle. No. Um, no but uh, no, I also, to me, it's just, there's something about it that smells like fall, right? There's yeah. something about that smell of, of broth cooking and the, just thinking about soup and, and so jumping the, in leaves and yes, the, fall the broth storms. It's, and, the broth itself while yeah okay it smells like fall like once you start adding the aromatics once the broth Mm -hmm. is done and then like you're adding in the sage 
And the tarragon, can you tell I'm so ready for fall? It's my favorite season. I'm so excited. Okay, next question. I'll be able to wait until Thanksgiving to cook my butcher box turkey is basically where this is going. Honestly, I'm going to go rifle through our freezer after the show and see if I can't find something to pull out, (laughs) (laughs) even if it's a chicken. Um, Actually, we haven't been cooking in the kitchen. Womp, womp. Trying to keep the stainless steel clean. Everything clean. Okay. leftovers or turkey bits to pets what's safe sarah i mean generally pets can i mean i'm assuming sort of dogs and cats at this point like let's i don't think we need to get in the weeds about what you're going to feed your pet turtle um (laughs) right just i just imagine trying to feed our bearded dragon turkey like how that would go no i don't know because i'm not feeding her that yeah yeah (laughs) um so you know generally meat bits are pretty safe. Um, you know, like generally they're going to be able to digest that if they are used to a raw diet, you could even give them like raw giblets cut up into small pieces. If they're not used to a raw diet, you would give them the cooked version. Um, and, uh, and generally that's pretty safe. Um, different, you know, cats are, are really carnivores. Their digestive system is not well adapted to vegetables, Um, dogs can do a little bit more vegetable because they are, uh, you know, their ancestors are more scavengers. So they would, they are, um, their normal diet would include more meat than plants, but it would include both. So they're not like super omnivores, but they, they do have the ability to digest more plant foods in which case, uh, those things, you know, would, could, could be given. Um, I would say, you know, if you are used to making homemade pet food, you would follow the same types of formulas. If you're not, you're really using it as a, uh, addition to your normal purchase, right? Add, add, add some scraps of turkey or a little bit of, you know, chopped turkey liver, although it's, you probably don't have any left because you blended it into your gravy, but go ahead and add that to the top. Uh, the turkey broth obviously is going to be a great, a great addendum to uh, any animal's diet. And uh, a lot of animals just love broth so much. Give it to them unseasoned before you add salt. And, you know, the same things that are toxic, like chocolate are still toxic if it's part of your Thanksgiving dinner. I just want to emphasize that if you're not eating or blending like the giblets and the liver and things like that into your gravy, um, your animals will love that. And Mm. um, if you think about poultry, like poultry is a natural food for cats. Mm -hmm. My wild Bengal cats, when they get out, we've been trying to keep them inside more, but when they get out, they bring us birds. They think it's a nice gift, but it's not. Um, that's their natural predatory nature is to consume that. So um, if you are buying your pet food from the store, that's why a lot of it is chicken and turkey for both cats and dogs. So it's just a matter of if it's just meat, like I give my pets meat all the time. Like that's their treat that I get them to do tricks and, you know, like all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But just, you know, bones are not, especially poultry bones are not okay to give your pets. If they're cooked, especially. Yeah. They shatter. Yes. They will splinter and cause all kinds of problems inside your pets. So just make sure that you're, giving them uh, cartilage is okay. They like cartilage and that won't hurt them. Like the little parts maybe next to the bone that you won't eat, like the, the softer ones, right? Like just touch it. And if you're like, Oh, that would be okay to be consumed by me then, but I don't want to. <laughs> then you're I pet- love the cartilage. Wait, are you saying that some people don't eat the cartilage? I do not eat the cartilage. No. Hmm. Um, I don't like the texture, but this see, is, this is our human- last podcast episode. I'm just saying. Our, a human could eat it, but yep. if you don't want to eat it, your pet will. So that goes for organ meats, it goes for cartilage, um, and it goes for like maybe you don't like dark meat because you're a weird person who prefers, <laughs> you know, flavorless food. I'm just kidding. I love you. I don't know why you're doing that, though. Your pet could take that food. <laughs> <laughs> We 
all fight over the dark meat in this family. I always get stuck with the white meat. But then I make Matt make me honey mustard for it. Oh, there you go. We have this ongoing thing about how my husband, um, like, will always ask for the white meat. And then he'll complain that he didn't get any dark meat. And I'm like, what? But you just, you said... So I, I, I now just, it all goes onto a platter and you serve yourself, but he, yeah. he, he thinks he likes the white meat better, but he doesn't. I and like he, both. I, yeah, I do like year. both, but they're, they're different. But like, if I had to choose yeah. only one, I would choose dark meat, but because Forever. we're a family of five and four people must have dark meat, like <laughs> I take the white meat, but we oh, also really girl. like making, um, turkey salad with mayonnaise with the white meat because it does kind of soak up the fat of a mayonnaise better so we almost always have white meat left over but not dark meat and so we use that to make um my kids really like turkey salad sandwiches and we'll put like um dried cranberries and maybe like almond slivers and we always do grated carrots in there I like to add a little bit of maple to it as well. It goes well with the carrots and the cranberries. And they'll just eat that, whether it's on lettuce, like as a wrap or, you know, on the leftover bread and biscuits that you have or anything like that. So that's a great way to use up turkey. The other thing, this is not a question. I'm surprised nobody asked about leftovers. The other thing that we really like to make with leftover turkey is a Thai dish called, we called it, Thai basil turkey, the recipe is on our blog, but it completely transforms the turkey into a different flavor to use Thai with it, right? Mm. So like Thai basil is available that time of year at our local Asian food stores. And so um, we'll add those flavors with the turkey and kind of like shred it apart a little bit. And um, it, if you're to over turkey, which I think all of us get to at a certain point, right? Like you're not done with the leftovers yet, but you're like, I could not eat another turkey sandwich if my life depended on it. That's a great way to use up those leftovers. I also, um, I like to freeze like say one meal's worth of leftovers for the four of us. Everything that is sort of a typical food for a Thanksgiving dinner typically freezes well. And then we can like, pull that meal out of the freezer by the end of January or, you know, like we can pull it out some later time. And then it's like all the nostalgic flavors. It's like special again. I might even make, you know, a one, another pumpkin pie that, you know, make it a, like a really special meal. And so there's also, you know, this wonderful thing called freezers, um, that I, I think is a great way if you're a person who doesn't like eating the same thing over and over again, you can look at Thanksgiving dinner a little bit like batch cooking. Like, oh my gosh, look at all the great stuff I now get to have in my freezer that I will now enjoy spaced apart and not day after day after day in the future. All right, last question. How do you each stay on the wagon during the holiday season? I just know what is going to make me feel not good and I don't eat it I know I know that's a really like <laughs> inappropriate unsubstantial response it's not helpful. It's not helpful. if we were doing rapid fire that's what I would say okay so this is why we do more than rapid fire this so is, this is our long-winded rapid fire exactly um here's the thing is I've talked before and I I still feel very passionately about this you are choosing this lifestyle because it helps you feel your best. If you decide that you are going to eat things that you might not normally eat on Thanksgiving. So for example, for me, I might eat something that has um, cornstarch in it, where that is not something I normally eat. It doesn't make me feel my best, but it also doesn't um, debilitate me with pain. And Mm -hmm. so maybe the things that I get from the gluten-free bakery have cornstarch in them or, um, have margarine. Um, I think like the pie that we get that's dairy-free probably has margarine in it, which is not something that I would normally eat. Um, but what I won't eat on Thanksgiving because I won't enjoy the time that I'm spending with my loved ones if I'm sick on the toilet or if my joints become inflamed and in pain is I don't eat gluten and I don't eat nightshades uh, because those I just personally 
do not eat no matter what the circumstances. And so I think it's really about examining what goals you have. And if you don't yet know what makes you absolutely um, good or bad, maybe today is not the time to try it out at Thanksgiving when you're with loved ones, right? Like Mm -hmm. maybe um, that's not the time to see what makes you feel bad. But um, or at least not all the things. Right, exactly. Like it because might then be an also, okay time to try one thing. But you, okay, so that, but then the question is, if that thing gives you a migraine, is uh, that when you're going to want a migraine? Fun. Yeah, that's not fun. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, if you're going to want to try something, maybe do, and there's all kinds of stuff in the internet. I know especially Sarah has great stuff on her website for reintroduction and the, uh, how that elimination process is ideally reintroduced. Do that before Thanksgiving, do that right now, right? Cause you have a month yeah. before Thanksgiving to see how your body responds. Because if what you get is gas six hours later, maybe that's okay for you if you know that you're going to have an experience with your family eating a food that you love, but if you get, you just, you just put a firm time cap on how long Thanksgiving dinner can, can last. <laughs> but do you know what I, but I, no, I, I just do, personally yeah. don't want to be feeling terribly when I'm surrounded by my loved ones. That's not, you know, it's, that's mm-hmm. not an experience I want to have. So I don't eat those things. Now I will say, the question is about the holiday season and not just Thanksgiving meal. And I feel like that time between Halloween and the two weeks that people buy candy before Halloween, so right now, um, <laughs> yep. to New Year's is like a free-for-all for a lot of people. There's cookie parties, there's, you know, work holiday parties, there's um, all kinds of events where you're exposed to foods that you might be drawn to or feel like you want to eat, but ultimately, you know that you don't. And so I, before I go into a place, decide in my head what I'm going to do so that it's my choice. And it's not a, I can't eat that. It's a, I don't eat that. And that mindset for me makes all the difference Mm -hmm. in my success with something. Because, you know, I went to... Staunton, Virginia last month to celebrate um, the Queen City Mischief and Magic, which is really just Harry Potter Wizarding World. The whole town turns into it. And they have um, butterbeer that they sell on the streets. That stuff is straight sugar. Like, honestly, (laughs) it's the absolute worst. But I love it and I don't get a migraine or, you know, anything from it. And so I'm like, this is an experience I want to have. I want to be in this town drinking a butterbeer. But if, for example, that was going to hurt me because it had something in it that bothered me, um, then I would go into it telling myself I'm not going to have a butterbeer because it's not worth it for me. And that's a decision, a choice that I am making. So if you feel put upon and restricted and negative about something, you're not going to feel successful about it versus feeling empowered and that, you know, you're in charge of your health. That mindset is so key. I think um, when I read this question, to me, I think the the mindset piece for me is how do you define on the wagon? Um, and I, I think one of the things um, that you alluded to that I kind of want to expand on is it's much, much easier to navigate this season, allowing and choosing some indulgences while keeping on the right side of the line of what's going to wreck me if you've been on this health journey a while and you really understand your body. So what makes it easier is when you know what are the foods that are going to make me ill? What are the foods that are going to give me um, a side effect that's tolerable or that I won't feel great if that food is part of my day-to-day diet, but once in a while it's going to be fine for me. And then also having a really strong understanding of what I need to thrive? What is my, my body's best diet? Um, and how does that shift in response to how much sleep I'm getting and my stress level and my activity level? Cause all of those are factors. And I think when you really understand your body very well, it's not a question of being on the wagon or off the wagon. It's really a question of, um, you know, avoiding wrecking ourselves with, 
foods that we know just don't work for us. And it, it stops being a diet at that point, And it starts being a, um, how I choose to eat to support myself. And it, it starts being much more of a lifestyle. Um, and once, once you've been, you know, like it's, it's hard to get to that point if you've been paleo for two months or three months, and this is your first holiday season. Yes. It's much more of a challenge because you haven't had that opportunity to really experiment with your body and understand what are your no-go foods, your occasional treat. It's okay. Versus the things that are like super important. Like I really have to work on maintaining my nutrient density through the holiday season. That's actually more important in terms of how I feel than how often I indulge in a sugary treat. And so you really get to that point of knowing what works for you and as an individual through experience. And so if you're sort of new, if you're, if you're one of our new listeners, um, listening to this and you're sort of new to paleo, um, you know, I would encourage you to think of this time of year as an opportunity not to fall off the wagon or have to muscle to stay back on the wagon. Like really don't think of it that way. Think of it as an opportunity to understand your body better um, and think of it in terms of what you've learned so far in terms of how you feel, right? So if you went paleo and you had GI symptoms that went away within a week, that's a really common experience for people when they first go paleo to have some, some aspect of things that they were struggling with sort of like magically resolve. It's not magic, it's nutrition. Um, but but I encourage you to sort of think of it in those terms, right? So you're thinking about it in terms of the journey of understanding yourself, of respecting bioindividuality, and of what is important to you in terms of supporting your lifelong health. And sometimes the food is really secondary. And what's actually impacting our health through the season is not all of the potlucks and office parties and temptation everywhere. It's the fact that we're drinking more alcohol, that we're sleeping less. Um, often this time of year can be really stressful for people, depending on your work situation, your family dynamics, bills, right? Th those things tend to come to the fore during the season in addition to celebration. And so um, I always actually think that focusing on keeping the lifestyle stuff actually helps the, the, the diet part. So by, you know, no, I'm going to make sure that I, you know, go to bed at a good time every night through the season, it's going to make staying on track in terms of dietary choices. Even if you're not at the point where you really understand your body super well, it's going to make that easier. So I, I definitely encourage you to think of it as a journey, not as a on the wagon, off the wagon. Um, think about it in terms of understanding your body. And if you eat something that doesn't work out, well, that was just great new information that you now know that you can act on in the future. It's, it's not, you know, I, I know it can feel frustrating in the moment, but um, I think it's really important to feel empowered by that knowledge. And it gives you some insight into yourself that is really important for the rest of your life. So I really encourage all of our listeners to, to think of this season in the most positive framework possible, which means looking at navigating social situations, navigating food, look at that as an opportunity to learn more about your body. That was the mic. Oh, just that was an excellent mic drop sound. Loved it. <laughs> I loved your wrap up, honestly. Um, such good points. And made me realize things that I do during that season as well. I do drink extra broth. We make all that Thanksgiving broth. Yes. But then I intentionally consume more broth in the wintertime, both because my joints need it and because I'm offsetting some other things that I might not be doing. Um, so you're pointing out habits. I would also say we didn't talk about it in this podcast, but I want to remind you that um, taking your probiotics during a period of time where you're surrounded by extra sugar will be really helpful for you. Um, Sarah and I both really love Thrive probiotics, but um, if you have another one that you're using or you're drinking more kombucha and eating more sauerkraut and that kind of stuff, that's great too. Um, but supporting your gut health to offset the extra 
bad bacteria that will love extra sugar that you're consuming is really important as well. So thanks for that amazingness wrap up, Sarah. I will say we got through eight questions in under an hour, which is about as rapid fire as we get. That's, yep. Nope. That's, that's pretty much <laughs> hashtag winning right there. Um, I also want to remind our listeners that if they're not current ButcherBox subscribers, they could go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view and sign up prior to my birthday of November 17th and get a whole turkey in their first box. So it's like my birthday present and you get a turkey. And you get a turkey and you get a turkey and you get a turkey. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. And thank you to ButcherBox for sponsoring this show. We will be back again next week. We actually have a very science heavy topic that Sarah has been working on yep, pulling together for couple of weeks, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm excited to tackle that. It is a listener submitted question. If you have questions that you'd like to submit, you can do so on either of our websites through the contact form. And we love it when you engage with us on social media. If you feel like someone you know would benefit from this show, sharing it with them is the greatest gift that you can give us. The next best thing is leaving a review so that somebody else thinking about listening can be... Um, inspired to do so by your loveliness and we will be back again next week thanks so much thank you for listening to the paleo view if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to rate us on itunes you can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through paypal I think it's good that you didn't say something because then I was, was like, there was nothing to add. You I'm like, like what, it, so what did I just do? I took your last line, but I don't know how to fix it. That's fine. No, it's, <laughs> it's all good. I, I feel, I feel like sometimes a little rule reversal spices up the relationship. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> just what we need a little more spice in our relationship. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.